Hello, welcome to episode 29, Playoff Preview, Phillies Focus Pod. On today's episode, I will be previewing the wildcard series versus the Miami Marlins. So without further ado, let's get this show started. Everyone was asked their favorite superheroes. You said Scooby-Doo. I, I didn't realize Scooby-Doo was a superhero. Can you kind of explain his superhero lore? I mean, well, first off, he's a dog, right? And he can talk. That's fair enough. Okay. All right. Welcome, as always. I'm your host, Lucas. And, well, that, uh, that didn't go quite as we thought heading into the final week. It was looking for quite some time there that we were going to have the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, in this three-game wildcard series. A little bit before that, it looked like it was going to be the Cubs. Um, but nonetheless, it is the Miami Marlins. So a little bit of an uncomfortable matchup for the Phillies. Uh, these divisional games, these divisional opponents, there's just a different feel, a different vibe when you know teams as well as you do when you face them uh, more than anyone else in the division throughout the years. Um, Miami has always played the Phillies tough. So um, look back to uh, in 2020, they remember that seven-game series versus the Phillies late in the year that ultimately kept the Phillies out of the playoffs and, and got the Marlins in in that shortened season. Um yeah, so there's a little bit of un- uncomfortability here. Uh, I was watching the Eagles-Commanders game yesterday, and, you know, just to make an example of divisional matchups going differently, the, the Eagles always, no matter how much of a talent disparity there is or um, how much better one team is than the other, the uh, Eagles always struggle versus Washington. Um you know, there's all kinds of weird flags, all kinds of um, just kind of head-scratching plays that you don't necessarily see if, you know, the Eagles, for instance, were play the Broncos. You know, that weird stuff doesn't tend to happen. It's more of a, um, you know, normal type of a matchup. So they're uh, going against Miami is, uh, is not exactly a dream matchup for the Phillies in this short three-game series. Um the Marlins finished uh, eight, technically 84 and 77, but they had that ninth inning one run lead on Friday versus the Mets that got suspended, was scheduled to resume today, but they're not going to resume it due to um, it uh, not having any relevancy in terms of the standings. So I'll give them that win, rounded up to 85 and 77 for the Marlins, five ahead of the or five behind the Phillies on the season. Um, they went seven and six versus the Phillies this year, um, winning the season series. They were four and two at Citizens Bank Park. They took two out of three in both ma- both matchups to Philly, um, or in Philly, I should say. Uh, the Marlins finished off the year a lot better than I had realized. They went eighteen and nine in September after kind of looking dead in the water after July and parts of August. Um, really turned it on at the end, had a really good offensive month, uh, by far their most power, most run scored of any month of the year. Um, they had some big deadline acquisitions in Jake Berger and Josh Bell to add some 
offensive power, some stability to this lineup that earlier on in the year they were have uh, leaning heavily on Jorge Salar and Luis Arise to kind of carry this team that had the pitching but didn't necessarily have the offense. So those deadline moves added a lot of uh, offensive depth to this lineup. Um, the Marlins went 33-13 and 13 in one-run games, which for a while you kind of look at that and um, – kind of see it as a lot of luck uh playing in but after so if you look at that that's kind of the antithesis of the San Diego Padres season which uh if you look at them they went winless in extra inning games and just had an atrocious record in one run games that ultimately was the difference in them not making the playoffs this year um it's very much the kind of the opposite of what this Marlins team was able to do so when you look at you know, through midseason, you're just kind of assuming there's a lot of luck involved with the Marlins' um, unsustainability into continuing to win the one-run games. But when you, when it's all all is said and done, and you have 46 of them, um, and you win 33, I think there's got to be a lot more than just luck involved. There, there's some uh, quiet confidence with this team to be able to win the run those games and the capacity in which they did. Um, you got to think the bullpen played a huge role into that um, to keep the games that close and ultimately hold on to the games in which you had those one-run leads. Um, so, yeah, like I said, definitely not an ideal matchup, not not a team I would handpick for uh, the Phillies to face in this first-round series, three-game series, where um, weird things can happen. You know, weird things can happen. So, um, you know, starting off, the series on Tuesday night, uh, you got Jesus Lazardo going against Zach Wheeler. Um, Lazardo is is not a guy I feel very comfortable against. This Phillies offense um, struggles way more against left-handed pitching than it does against right-handed pitching. Um, and Lazardo is a guy who has really good electric stuff from the left-handed side, uh, really good swing and miss stuff, and um, has really really above average command uh so not exactly a matchup that uh you know screams confidence uh from my point of view for this Phillies offense in game one um when you look at uh you know the the Marlins I guess some could be good news they they're struggling um with the injury bug when you look at their top two starting pitchers whether it's uh last year Cy Young award winner in Sandy Alcantara being out for the season or um at one point uh NL rookie of the year front runner Yuri Perez uh really really quality electric right-handed stuff um Phillies traditionally hit Alcantara fairly well and um have had decent showings versus Perez this year um so time will tell whether those injuries are a blessing or a curse for for either team really moving forward it does force the Phillies to face quality lefties in games one and two um, that they otherwise would not be facing early on in the season um, or early on in the series, I should say. So got Jesus Lazardo versus Zach Wheeler. Um, Lazardo is a career 3-0 and pitcher against the Phillies with a 3.26 ERA with 37 strikeouts to just six walks. Um, they faced him twice this year. On April 11th, uh, he went six innings. Eight hits, uh, three runs, five strikeouts to one walk. 
faced him one more time on July 9th. He went six and a third, just four hits, two runs, nine strikeouts to just one walk. Um, so got Zach Wheeler going. I, I didn't uh, write down his historical numbers against the Marlins due to, uh, you know, dating back to 2013. There's been so many different iterations of the Marlins that Wheeler has faced. I didn't find it very relevant to uh, put down his historical numbers, but this year he has three starts against the Marlins. Um, he went he very consistently went six innings, uh, even in all three games, starting on April 12th. Six innings, just three hits, one run, six strikeouts, three walks. On July the seventh, six innings again, seven hits, three runs, seven strikeouts, zero walks, and then to start off August uh, on August second. Six innings again, five hits, two runs, four strikeouts, one walk. Um, so a lot of consistency there. You look, uh, you expect him to get in and through the sixth inning based on uh, how he faced them this season and how well he's been pitching of late. Um, you know, I think the big thing with this game is to uh, keep the ball in the bar ballpark uh, if your Phillies pitching. Um, and Zach Wheeler. So you look for him to keep the walks to a minimum, hopefully get around six, seven strikeouts, and uh, go deeper in the game, and hopefully the uh, the Phillies can um, get to Lazardo a little bit earlier than they have this season and tack on a little more runs. Then on Wednesday night, game two, they face Braxton Garrett, another lefty, um, who doesn't instill quite as much fear as Jesus Lazardo, but still a quality left-handed pitcher who's pitched very well for the Marlins this year. He's a career 2-1 and one pitcher against the Phillies with a 4.50 ERA, 19 strikeouts, 7 walks. Um, his, uh, his strikeout numbers are better against the rest of the league that his numbers against the Phillies would indicate. Um, so he is... He does have strikeout stuff, um, walks a little bit more than Lazardo, not quite the same command, but still a, a very quality left-handed pitcher against this Phillies lineup in two starts this year for the Marlins against the Phillies on July the 8th. He went five innings, six hits, three runs. Actually, in both games, the identical line of five innings, six hits, and three runs on July 8th. He had three strikeouts to zero walks on August 2nd. Same line of five uh, innings, six hits, three runs, five strikeouts to two walks. Um, so he's a guy you look, hopefully look the, to the Phillies to get to him a little bit earlier on in the game. Um, you know, don't let him get to that sixth inning. Try to get to that bullpen. Um, and uh, hopefully get him with the long ball. That's going to be gonna be the theme of the series in my mind is um, who can hit more home runs is really what it's boiling down, down to. Uh, so we got Aaron Nola going um, against the Marlins on Wednesday after he ended the season rather strongly after struggling up and down all season long, was really struggling in August or in September there, but was able to end the season on a high note of back-to-back -back quality starts. Um, second straight year pitched the, um, the clincher. Uh, that got them into the playoffs um, this past week. So he's uh, he's looking much better, using more pitches than he was um, 
you know, when he was struggling, he, he got back to a, a good four-pitch mixture the last couple starts that he's feeling a lot more comfortable with. On uh, April 11th, he went five and two-thirds against the Marlins, gave up nine hits, four earned runs, um, actually had identical lines in all three games of four earned runs, six strikeouts to zero walks. So at least he wasn't walking this Marlins uh, lineup, but they were swinging away early and swinging often uh, in route to many hits. In, um, in three starts, he gave up 17, uh, 24 hits. He had nine hits, eight hits, and seven hits, respectively. On, um, on July 9th, he went six innings, eight hits, again, four runs, six strikeouts, no walks. And then on September 9th, he only went four and a third, wasn't able to make it out of the fifth inning, gave up uh, seven hits, again, four runs, six strikeouts, no walks. So he wasn't walking, guys, but um, he's given up plenty of hits to this uh, deep Marlins lineup now. September 9th was a different version of NOLA than we got at the end of September. So hopefully um, that that start is a little bit more of an anomaly and not an outlier going into Wednesday night's start. Um, so I do feel better about Wednesday night's matchup against Braxton Garrett than I do Jesus Lazardo, as I mentioned. Um, yeah, a lot depends uh, how that first game goes and and what uh, ultimately, you know, we're going to get from Nola going into Wednesday night. Um when you think of all those hits that he gave up in all three games, nine, eight, and seven, that is concerning in the sense that um, throughout the season, kind of this, one of the main storylines with Aaron Nola has been his struggles with men on base and out of the out of the stretch, um, as opposed to no base runners and able to pitch out of the full windup, um, has just been a completely different pitcher with runners on base. Um, than he has been otherwise. So really look to Nola, um, looking for Nola to keep those hits at a minimum compared to all the hits he gave up in all three games against the Marlins this year. Um, so hopefully he comes out. I like the zero walks uh, that he's exhibited against the Marlins this year. Hopefully his command is on, um, throwing his pitches with conviction and confidence. And... Um, and yeah, so just feeling overall pretty good about Wednesday night's matchup. So heading into Thursday's potential, if needed, uh, winner-take-all game three, it looks as though the Marlins uh, have Edward Cabrera as their game three starting pitcher, um, who's, uh, who's, again, got really good uh, stuff, uh, swing and miss stuff. He has a career one-and-one record against the Phillies with a 2.84 ERA. 17 strikeouts to 12 walks so does not have the command anywhere near to that of Jesus Lizardo or that of Braxton Garrett for that matter um two starts this year against the Phillies he on April 12th went five innings seven hits two runs four strikeouts one walk then on July 31st which I kind of take as the blueprint on how to face Edward Cabrera um for this Phillies team he went just three innings Gave up only three hits and two unrun, two earned runs um, to three strikeouts, but he had six walks. Six walks in that game compared to just nine uh, outs recorded for him through three, through three innings pitched. Um, 
So you look uh, for that as kind of a blueprint. I'm looking in games one and two. I don't expect the Phillies to um, portray a whole lot of patience at the plate. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure in game one they're going to be looking early to get to Lizardo early in the count, not let him get ahead to get to that strikeout stuff, um, hit the pitches. The better pitches to hit earlier in the count, uh, similarly to Braxton Garrett. However, against Edward Cabrera, I would flip that script um, and really make him throw strikes and really exude a lot of patience earlier on in that game and try to flood the the bases with some freebies and um, and get to him in that manner with potential timely hitting after getting some, some free passes. So that six-walk game against the Phillies on July 31st is something that is catching my eye with uh, as far as Edward Cabrera is concerned. Um, the game three starter for the, the Phillies, a lot is hanging up in the air as far as that's concerned. Um, they are willing to use uh, Ranger Suarez out of the bullpen in the first two games if need be. I'm really hoping it doesn't come to that because um, Ranger Suarez is someone in that game three winner-take-all scenario that I would feel much more comfortable, uh, significantly more comfortable with than anyone else with the Phillies. I I don't want to see Taiwan Walker in this uh, series against the Marlins at all. I would prefer just not to see him at all given the way that he's pitching really most of the year, but uh, the second half of the season. Um, Christopher Sanchez is a guy who I have just been um, continuously singing praises on this show with. Uh, he's just been incredible this year, and his changeup has been one of the best pitches in all of baseball for several months now. Um, however, on the opposite spe- end of that same spectrum, his fastball in the same time period has been one of the worst pitches in baseball. Um, so although I do trust him um, within, you know, relative in a relative sense, I is not someone that I'm going to feel extremely comfortable with starting a game three winner take all in this wild card round. Um, so I, I very much hope that Ranger Suarez is able to go if it should come to it. Um, because if not, it, it does look very likely that the Phillies will be um, going with Taiwan Walker and potentially piggybacking uh, Christopher Sanchez behind him. Um, why that scares the death out of me as far as Taiwan Walker is it's been no secret his early inning struggles this year. It takes him for a while now. It's been taking him a, a little bit to get into the flow of the game and uh, in doing so, he's been giving up a lot of early inning runs in the first inning, uh, second and third. He's given up a lot of runs in those spots um, to where in a game three winner, in the playoffs in general, that is really concerning uh, to get out to a, a bad start and have to play comeback, let alone in a, uh, a winner-take-all scenario. That is the last thing that you kind of want is to dig yourself a hole early on and let that young Marlins team gain the confidence in that situation, um, start tasting that victory in that series win if Taiwan Walker is pitching and gets into that trouble early to where the Marlins are able to take a, a early lead. That something that I would like to avoid at all costs. So I, I really hope that they don't have to deploy Suarez in the first twos so that we can have him going in a potential game three, which leads me to his um, season stats against the Marlins on July 8th. 
He went five and two-thirds. Gave up eight hits, four earned runs, four strikeouts, four walks. On August 1st, he went six and a third, gave up ten hits, but only allowed one run. Um, that almost is, uh, have to squint and make sure I'm seeing that right. Ten hits to one run, just, you know, the math doesn't really math right there. But nonetheless, that was his line. He gave up three strikeouts and just two walks in that game. Then on September 10th, which is what I believe is uh, probably his best start of the year, he uh, he took a no-hitter into the seventh inning, got one out in the seventh, uh, had a no-hitter going, and then he kind of unraveled a little bit. Um, ultimately, gave up the lead, and then Sir Anthony gave up what would become the game-winning home run in the eighth inning in that game, which was a, a disappointing loss. But Suarez was dealing for... Uh, just on autopilot for the first six innings. Uh, his line ended up with two hits, three runs. He had 10 strikeouts, which uh, you don't often see Ranger uh, get those type of high strikeout numbers. So uh, 10 strikeouts to just three walks on September the 10th. So that is a start, much like you're looking at uh, the July 31st start with Edward Cabrera and the six walks as a blueprint. I'm looking at that September 10th start with Suarez against the Marlins where he took the no-hitter into the 7th and uh, was striking guys out left and right. Um, so I do feel good about that matchup, uh, very good about that matchup, um, if it should come to it in that situation. So all in all, like I said, it is uh, not the most comfortable of matchups, not ideal. However, um, still feeling pretty confident. I think the game that scares me the most is Game 1. Um, not feeling exceptionally confident versus Lazardo and his left-handed stuff against this team. So I'm looking for them to set, set the tone early. Um, I would not be surprised at all if Kyle Schwarber leads off the game with a home run to, to start off this playoff run in the series, uh, on that positive tone to get ahead, get things running. Um, look for Schwarber to hit that one. I am calling it. Lead-off home run for Shorver on Tuesday night. Um, and hopefully they can just go from there. Uh, I am expecting them to swing early in the count, which, you know, that can go either way. We could, you know, start hitting the ball right right to Marlins defenders and give Lozardo some easy innings, or we could uh, be making contact and get him into some uncomfortable situations early on, which hopefully that should be the case. Um, I'd look for... Good number. I'm looking for the Phillies to score is five on Tuesday night. I think if we can get to five runs, that Wheeler can keep the offense in check enough, keep them under three runs uh, or so for Wheeler. And, um, you know, I'm looking at this bullpen. This bullpen ended very strong uh, in the final, in the, excuse me, in the final week of the season. They had a uh, even one ERA, 1.00 ERA for the Phil's bullpen in the final week after some uh, some considerate struggles that went on through the months of September before that final week. So I'm feeling good about where things land as far as that's concerned. So look for the Phillies, um, you know, if we can win 5-4, maybe 6-4. Uh, Wheeler gives up under three runs. We tag Lazardo for three-plus, maybe four runs get another one off the Marlins bullpen and look for our bullpen to kind of shut the door if Wheeler should uh, hold on to the lead that we hopefully give him. Look for the Phillies to win somewhere in the realm of 6-4 to four game one, um, which would leave me feeling 
very good going into Wednesday night with Nola versus Garrett, uh, similarly to the way that Wheeler and Nola were able to shut down the Cardinals last year in the wild card round 1-2, uh, not even need in needing that game three. I'm, I'm looking for a similar blueprint against the Marlins. If, uh, if we can hold on, I don't expect game one to be easy whatsoever. I think it, there's going to be adversity and struggles throughout the game, maybe some weird things happening. But um, if we can hold on and win game one, then things are, in my mind, looking really good for Nola and the Phillies going into game two. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it really boils down to that game one. Um, I think that that is the most concerning for me. Um, a lot of pressure goes on Nola and the Phillies if they do drop game one. But I, I do think that we would, in that scenario, force a game three in which um, I feel pretty decent going against Edward Cabrera and hopefully hopefully Suarez on the mound at that point. Um, so little some offensive notes. The Phillies did end the season in a very positive way on Sunday, uh, winning the final day 9-1. to um, Really good pitching, uh, but what I was paying attention to was the offense. Alec Bohm was really in a slump um, for about a week or two there. Um, really came out of that slump and had a big home run, hit really well on Sunday. Hit his 20th home run, which made it for the first time ever that this Phillies team hit 20, had six players that hit over 20 home runs in a season, which was uh, a little bit surprising to me when you think of all those uh, great offensive teams in the mid to late 2000s that um, we didn't have any teams that had six guys over 20 home runs. So... Thankfully, Boehm was able to get his 20th on Sunday, kind of snap out of that slump a little bit. Bryson Stott has had a pretty rough September, um, was slumping as well, but had uh, had some good hits on Sunday um, to get out of it a little bit, build, rebuild some confidence heading into the uh, the playoffs, as well as Brandon Marsh um, had a good weekend. Um I'm not worried about this offense. I'm not worried about where they're at. They seem to uh, to remedy some of their woes uh, towards the end of the season here on Sunday. Um, Bryce Harper had a huge, had a big home run against the Pirates last week. Um, so I, I'm not worried about Harper at all. I look for him to pick up where he left off in last year's postseason and have a really big showing uh, for the Phils this year. Um, Kyle Schwarber, as I said, I look for him to set the tone early on. So I'm feeling good about the offense. Um, it just boils down to, you know, a little bit worried about Jesus Lazardo and, and the game he's able to put together tomorrow night. But, um, yeah, feeling good about the pitching, the bullpen, and the offense. So look for them to carry that into the series. Um, so I think that'll do it. As always, thank you for listening. Um, go Phillies. And I should be back doing a reaction show uh, after game one. If I'm not able to get it out Tuesday night after the game, I'll, I'll have it out so at some point Wednesday uh, before game two, kind of uh, recapping game one, looking into game two. So be on the lookout for that. Um, I think I'll leave it at that. Like I said, go Phillies, and I will talk to you all soon. Keep it going.